0: Well, who's just excited that the normal chairs are back? (laughs) Um, Before we jump in, I want to let you know about something that we are starting next week. So today we're concluding uh, this series, Good News for All People. And in the series, we've been walking through Luke chapter 4 through 9, looking at how Jesus is bringing good news to all people. He's demonstrating his power to redeem Um, He's been healing people and forgiving sins, and he calmed a storm, and he's driven demons out of people, and he even raised the dead. And then he says that it's necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and die. And what Luke wants us to see is that Jesus's power to redeem will be demonstrated most, not in his strength, but in his suffering. And so he says, if, if you want to be my follower, that's where we're going. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to the cross. And so next week, we're starting a new series called Like Drops of Blood that will spend three weeks looking at Jesus in Jerusalem leading up to the cross. And so as part of that series, we have these uh, 21-day prayer and reflection guides that we hope that you will grab next week and participate with us, uh, because in this guide, uh, it's designed just to help you think more deeply about the sufferings of Jesus and the cross, and also um, to uh, give some ideas about what it might look like for you to... Uh, join with Jesus by taking up your cross. And so we're excited about this. Uh, Josh will be kicking off the series next week um, and would love for you to grab one of these booklets next week. If you're watching online, um, you can sign up to receive one of these and we'll mail you a copy. Um, but would love for you to join us in that. It'll be cool. Today, what we're going to do, so we've been going through Luke 4 through 9, looking at Jesus and his power to redeem. Today, we're gonna fast forward in the story to Luke chapter 19. And the reason that we're doing that is because this is the last event before Jesus goes into Jerusalem. So uh, starting last week, he has set his eyes towards Jerusalem and uh, Luke chapter 10 through 18 is following Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem and his teachings that he was doing along the way. We're gonna fast forward to Luke chapter 19 and, and look at the last event before he goes into Jerusalem, before he'll um, start to move towards the cross. And the reason for that is this is like a capstone story for Luke. Luke is using this story as a way of of showing Remember, here's why Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And so, just before he enters, here's what happens Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and he's passing through because he's on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 2. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So, Jesus goes to the city called Jericho. And Jericho was destroyed in the Old Testament. So, how is he going to the city now? And the answer is they rebuilt it, okay? Um, so, they rebuilt the city and they moved it southeast uh, from the original location in the Old Testament. And Jericho, in the days of Jesus, was a destination town, it was a place where people would vacation, it was very tropical type of climate, and very similar to like Palm Springs today. So it's in the middle of a desert, but there's a lot of pools and stuff. And so people would go there. And if you had money, this was a place that you would vacation. And in fact, Jericho was such a nice area that uh, in 35 BC, Mark Antony actually gifted the city to Cleopatra. And so Jericho is this um, resort-like town And you can still visit it today. Today, if you go, um, when I was there, it was 110 degrees and absolutely miserable. Um, So it's a little bit different now, but uh, you can still go and check out that city. So it's this resort type town. Jesus is passing through there. And there's a man who lives in Jericho. And his name is Zacchaeus. And it tells us three things about him. First, it says that he was a tax collector. A tax collector is someone who made their living by exploiting other people. So uh, let's say that Rome required you to pay 20% um, of your income to taxes. A tax collector would charge 30 or 40%, and they would keep the extra. They would keep the margin, and they would build their own wealth by exploiting the taxpayer. And so, people hated these people. Uh, taxpayers hated tax collectors. And it's not all that different today, is it? Uh, you don't generally think, like, you know, as you're praying uh, at night, like, God, thank you for the IRS. They're doing such great work. Um, you know, we, we couldn't make it without them. You know, like, that's generally not how you feel. But it was even worse in their culture because of the um, exploitation that took place. And so, These are are hated people. They've built their wealth by cheating the taxpayer, and Zacchaeus was one of those guys. So people hate him. And not only was he a tax collector, that's the first thing it says, but it tells us the second thing, and that's that he was a chief tax collector. And that just means that he was a prominent tax collector. He had built a big business for himself, and it's very likely that he had other people who worked for him. And so not only had he cheated taxpayers, but he's also built a business where he has people who work for him and he also profits off of the cheating that they do. And so this is a man who is despised by the Jewish people. Not only has he cheated taxpayers, but in a Jewish society like this, he has chosen to build a company that requires him to turn his back on his Jewish heritage, his Jewish faith, to turn his back on his family and his people, and to seek the power and wealth of Rome. So he's chosen to side with Rome over his family. And so not only is he a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. He has built a business for himself doing this and that's the third thing it tells us is that he was rich and he has built this wealth at the expense of the taxpayer. But something happens to him in this story. We don't know why he does the things that he does but at some level, he starts to feel guilty for the way that he's been living his life. Have you ever been there? Like you were making decisions and things actually had been working out fairly well for you. In many ways, you could even maybe be proud of what you were doing. And then as time went by, you actually started to feel guilty. You started to have regrets. The first time I can remember feeling that in my life, I was in fourth grade, and uh, me and my buddies in my neighborhood were playing ding-dong ditch on all of our neighbors. And if you're unfamiliar, uh, it's a great game. You uh, run up to people's houses, you ring the doorbell, and then you Ditch. You run away real fast. And in Tennessee, they have a bunch of ditches, and so you can actually hide in the ditch. So there's actually a double meaning on ding-dong ditch. You can ditch and hide in the ditch. And as, as like a 10-year-old, I thought this was the greatest thing ever uh, because there would be people who would come out and uh, you know open the door, and they would just get so confused. Um, And so they would, you know, what is going on? And we just thought that was hilarious. And then there would be people who get really mad. And we thought that was hilarious too. And so this was great. And so for like, you know, a month in the summer, this is what we were doing every day. Um, And then something happened. And all of a sudden, I started to get nervous every time the phone rang. Like, I I thought that one of the neighbors was going to call and tell on me. And so I started rushing to the phone. I wanted to make sure I was the one who would answer the phone. And so eventually I confessed uh, to my dad that I had been ding-dong-ditching before I was caught. I thought that might go better for me. (laughs) That example is this big. But you probably know what it's like to have a bigger instance of that, don't you? You know what it's like to be enjoying what you're doing and then later regret it. And Zacchaeus starts to have a moment like that. And so this story is an important one for answering a question that all of us have to answer at times, and that's this How should you deal with your guilt? Here's what Zacchaeus does, verse 3. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So somehow he hears that Jesus is passing through and huge crowds follow Jesus everywhere he went. And so uh, they're aware that Jesus is coming to town and he had heard enough about Jesus because everybody's talking about Jesus. This is, this is the height of Jesus's popularity and fame in the area. So he's heard about Jesus and he's curious about him. But because there's such a large crowd who would follow Jesus, he can't see Jesus because he's short. And so here's what he does, verse four. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus sees the road that Jesus is on. He can't quite see him because of the crowd. And so here's what he decides to do. He notices where Jesus is walking, that there's a tree down the road. And so he starts to run to get ahead of Jesus, to go around the crowd, and he climbs up in the tree so that when Jesus passes by that way, he'll just be able to see him. Now this is an odd sight. Think about this. How often do you see grown men who are wealthy business people just running down the street? That very rarely happens, right? If you see a grown man who is wealthy running, it's an emergency, right? That's even true today. It was even more so true in their culture you don't run if you're a distinguished man and you certainly don't climb up in a tree seriously think about this when was the last time you saw a grown man climb a tree on his own volition like yeah it was saturday didn't have anything to do and so just climbed a tree people don't do that right but here's this man who's rich that everybody hates Doing something that would draw attention to him, just because he wants to see Jesus. So he gets up in the tree. Verse five. When Jesus came to the place, the place where the tree was, he looked up and said to him, "Stop right there." I I was told last time this happened that it's the wind. All right, so, um, yeah. Um, So, what do you think that Jesus is going to say to Zacchaeus? How you answer that question reveals so much about you. What would Jesus say to this chief tax collector who everyone hates? About a year ago, I was reading this story with one of my nieces. She was four at the time. And I was contextualizing the story for her. And I said, There's this boy named Zach, and he takes people's toys without asking, and he steals their toys. And whenever they get a new toy that they like, he breaks off part of it and keeps it for himself. And he's just mean, he doesn't have any friends and he climbs up in this tree to see Jesus. And then I stopped and I said, what do you think Jesus is gonna say to this boy? And she said, and she did her finger like this, she said, be nice and share your toys. (laughs) Be nice and share your toys. And isn't that what you would expect Jesus to say? Maybe you could even make the case that's what he should say. Here's this man who is a chief tax collector. That's just another way of saying he's a chief sinner. The only modern day example I could even think of that would be uh, analogous to how tax collectors were viewed would be like a drug dealer today. That's the stigma in their culture. What would you expect Jesus to say to this guy? My niece thought that Jesus would would explain some rules to him. Be nice. Share your toys. Instead, Jesus doesn't give this man the law. He gives him grace. Look at what Jesus says, verse five. Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. Jesus doesn't just care about people. He cares about people. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Now, when I was a kid, I was taught not to invite myself over to people's houses. Maybe you were taught similar things. So in our culture, this could feel like maybe a little imposing Like Jesus is like, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I've got to go to your house. That's not the way that this is coming across in their culture. In their culture, the highest form of association that you could offer someone was to be willing to go to their house. We've seen earlier in the Gospel of Luke, we talked about how many times Jews would not enter the house of a Gentile, so they would literally not go to someone who is just ethnically different than them. They wouldn't go to their house just because we don't associate with them. We wouldn't want people to think that that we're together. In this culture, going to someone's home is the highest form of respect and honor you could give. And Jesus looks at this man who is hated, By the crowd. Everybody's watching, and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. In other words, Jesus is offering Zacchaeus the opportunity to belong with him. And notice that at this point in the story, Zacchaeus hasn't done anything to behave any differently. Jesus is saying you can belong before you behave. And so Zacchaeus, verse six, quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. Zacchaeus is overwhelmed with gratitude. In verse seven. Here's how we know this was a real story because this is what would happen today too all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. There's always critics who complain. And the complaint here is, what in the world? Jesus, the man who's supposedly from God is gonna go to the house of Zacchaeus That's absurd. Maybe we were wrong about this guy. Maybe he's not really from God if he's going to go to Zacchaeus' house. Don't you know how Zacchaeus made all his money, Jesus? It was by cheating us. And Zacchaeus hears this. And he says, verse eight, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus changes. But think about the progression of the story. What caused Zacchaeus to change? Was it Jesus coming by and saying, be nice and share your toys? Or was it the kindness of God that leads to repentance? See, the crowd's understanding of the way that God works is, if you change, then you can join us. If you behave, then you can belong. Jesus' understanding is that, hey, if you join us, you'll change. If you belong, you'll behave. And so Jesus extends kindness to this man that the crowd wants to reject. Jesus welcomes the one who's rejected by saying, I'm gonna go to your house. And it's that expression of kindness. It's tasting the grace of Jesus that leads Zacchaeus to change. He says, look, Lord, I'll give half my money away to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay it back four times as much. Change happens when God's grace starts to feel heavier to your heart than your guilt. And Jesus looks at that. He sees and hears what Zacchaeus does and says, and here's what Jesus says in verse nine. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. This is a bold statement. Jesus says, today, in the presence of all of us, salvation has come to this house. Now, here's what's significant about this Jesus is showing us, by using the word salvation, Jesus is showing us something about guilt. Here's what he's showing us Your guilt is not just something that you feel, you don't just feel guilty sometimes when you do something wrong. Your guilt is not a feeling, it's a verdict. You don't just, oh man, I feel bad. Like, no, you're actually declared guilty before God. You deserve to pay for what you've done. It's not just a feeling, it's a sentence. It's a declaration, it's a verdict. And as sinners, we stand condemned before God. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. What is salvation? Salvation is just being set free from something. All of us as as sinners are under this verdict, you deserve to pay. Salvation is you get to go free. Sorry. Salvation is you get to go free. Our guilt is, condemns us before God. Salvation is, you're right in the eyes of God. And Jesus says that today, this sinner has been set free. This sinner is delivered from the sentence of guilt. This sinner is safe from the judgment he deserves. Why? See, if we're not careful, the way that this text flows, we could conclude from this that Jesus sees what Zacchaeus does. He sees his desire to change and give his money away. And Jesus rewards him for his change with salvation. Jesus looks at his change in behavior and he rewards him with this gift of no longer having to pay for what he's done. Well, look, Zacchaeus, you're making up for it. Because of what you've done, you get to go free. Because you've changed your ways, you get to go free. Because you've been willing to be generous and give to the poor, you get to go free now. That could be a way that we read this. Jesus saw him say that, and then he says, "Today salvation has come. But think about the progression of the story. Did Jesus extend belonging to him before or after he behaved differently? See, salvation, being set free from your guilt, is not a reward that's given to you when you change. It's not a reward that you get for deciding to stop breaking the law and start following the law. Instead, salvation is a gift that God gives to lawbreakers. How do I know that from this text? Well, look at what he says. He says, today salvation has come to this house, And then what's the reason that he gives? He says, because he too is a son of Abraham. You want to know why Zacchaeus' salvation has come to his house, Jesus says? Because he too is a son of Abraham. What is he saying? Abraham was the patriarch of the Jewish nation. To be a son of Abraham meant to be one of God's people, to be someone that God accepts. And Jesus says, he is a son of Abraham. Notice he doesn't say, he's a follower of Moses. He doesn't say, he's one who keeps the law of Moses. And that's how I know salvation has come. Instead, he says, he's a son of Abraham. The Apostle Paul will pick up this theme in Romans chapter 4. And he'll say, listen, was Abraham made right with God by keeping the law? No. How do we know that? Because Abraham was made right with God before the law was given. Before there was a law, God accepted Abraham. And what was the basis of God accepting Abraham? Romans chapter 4, Paul says he was accepted by his faith. He trusted in the promises of God. And to make it even more clear, in Galatians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says the same thing. Listen to Galatians 3 verse 7. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons, Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. The way God accepts sinners, the way God accepts people who break the law, is not by coming along and saying, you better keep the law. The way that he accepts people is he comes to sinners and he says, trust in me as the only one who can save you from your sins. Trust in me. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he recognizes that what Zacchaeus is doing, he's doing because he believes. He's a son of Abraham. How do you become a son of Abraham? By faith. And then to make sure Just, this is the last thing he says before he literally starts just walking up to Jerusalem. He says, for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Why has Jesus come? To seek and save the lost. At the pinnacle of Luke's teaching, what he wants us to see is that Jesus came to give grace to people who are guilty. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Why must he go to the cross? So that he can do that. So that he can seek and save the lost. So in light of this text, let me ask you two questions. First, have you welcomed Jesus into your house? Have you welcomed Jesus into your house? What do I mean by that? I mean, have you trusted Jesus and experienced his power to save? Welcoming Jesus into your house means trusting him enough to own up to your failures. The way that we typically respond to guilt when we start to realize that we're in the wrong, that we've been caught, the way we typically respond is we attack others. Because of the pain that we're feeling, we lash out at other people. Or we blame others. Rather than own up to our failures, we blame people. Or we become overly self-sacrificing and we just live life as a martyr, or we withdraw and we remove ourselves from relationships because of what we've done. Or we withdraw into the dark and we hide and we conceal. But somebody who is welcomed to Jesus into their home is someone who knows that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus has come to give grace. To the guilty. And one of the, the marks that let somebody know you believe that. One of the marks that that would let you know, even that you've welcomed Jesus is simply your willingness to own up to your failures. The better you know Jesus, the better you understand his mission to seek and save the lost, the faster you'll be to own up to your sins. As followers of Jesus, we own our failures. Pastor Jim Munson, who's on staff with us, um, he uses this phrase all the time. He says, we gotta get comfortable eating crow. Eating crow. And he's said that a bunch and I had no idea what that meant. So I Googled that and basically eating crow is an idiom Uh, You probably already knew this. Eating crow is an idiom that means you're willing to accept the shame and embarrassment of bad decisions that you've made. As followers of Jesus, we get comfortable eating crow, and here's why. Because we know that the ultimate shame that we carry because of our sin is not ours to carry Jesus goes to Jerusalem for sinners like us. Jesus goes to bear our guilt and shame. Jesus is humiliated so that we can go free. If we trust that in an ultimate sense, in our relationship with God, then we will be willing to eat crow publicly so that we can better know him, the one who has stood in for us before our heavenly father. In order to follow Jesus, in order to welcome him into your house, you may have to climb a tree and get over the crowd. What do I mean by that? I mean, maybe the crowd has told you that Jesus isn't for you. Jesus wouldn't welcome people like you. Jesus welcomes church people. Jesus welcomes people without your past. If you're gonna welcome Jesus, you might have to get over the crowd like Zacchaeus does. You might have to run ahead of the crowd and climb up a tree so that you can see Jesus for yourself. You might have to be able to peek above the crowd so that you can see Jesus, that he has grace for sinners even like you. So you might have to own up to your sin and you might have to peek above the crowd in order to see him. So that's the first question. Have you welcomed Jesus into your house? Here's the second question. Have you gone to the house of sinners? Have you gone to the house of sinners? Have you joined Jesus in his mission to save? Unfortunately, many times the church responds to sinners more like the crowd than like Jesus. The crowd's messages change and you can join us. And when we do that, we reduce Christianity to just another moral code. Christianity becomes like a ladder that we hand people in the middle of their mess. We're like, we see you down there in your mess. Here's a ladder. If, if you'll follow these steps and if you'll change your behavior, then you can climb your way out and God will accept you. Then you can climb your way out and you'll belong. But is that how Jesus... Pursues his mission of redemption? Does Jesus hover, does, does he see the mess that the world was in and then hover over, you know, in his helicopter and throw down one of those rope ladder things to people in their mess so that they can climb their way out of the mess? No. When Jesus sees the mess, what does he do? He goes to a manger. When Jesus sees the mess, he moves towards it. He came to seek and save the lost, and that's why he's got to go to Jerusalem. The symbol that represents Christianity is not a ladder, it's a cross. And if we are people who cling to the cross, if we are people who believe that message, if we are people who have tasted the grace of God in his son Jesus, and what he accomplished on the cross then we will also be people who walk towards messes. Sinners who need Jesus are a mess. I know that because my life is a mess. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to move towards the mess. In our house, sometimes when Courtney is gone, um, I'll just let dirty dishes pile up um, and I'll just leave them sitting for a while and sometimes stuff hardens in the bowl you know and so one time I was just looking at it and I asked Courtney like should we just throw it away and she was like no just clean it like literally just roll up your sleeves and clean the bowl and that's How the church is sometimes. We see people in their mess, and it's like, oh my gosh, should we just toss it out? The answer of Jesus is no. Move towards the mess, roll up your sleeves. Let's be a church like that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending your son to seek and save the lost. Would your spirit be active now? If there are people who are overwhelmed by their guilt, would you overwhelm their heart with your grace? Would you help them to trust in Jesus and what he accomplished in Jerusalem? God, would you help us be a church whose attitude towards sinners is more like Jesus than the crowd? It's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. Would you stand? This next song that we're going to sing is called How Deep the Father's Love. Uh, If you need to Google that so that you can look up the lyrics, uh, please do so.